Happy Tuesday, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into In The Fight. Today on the episode, we have Robin Black. This is Robin's third time on the show, and it just gets better and better and better with every single conversation that we have. You know, the cool thing, I think, with Robin is as excited as I get and as passionate as I am when I'm talking to him and as as curious as I feel when I when I get to talk to him about some of this combat sports stuff, he shows it right back and he's so genuine about his emotions when, when he's talking to me and it's really greatly appreciated. He doesn't have to be as cool as he is and he is. So Robin, thank you for the time. Great conversation. We go over karate combat, bare knuckle boxing. Then we get into Canelo, Jorge Masvidal and, and where combat sports fits into the whole sports broadcasting world. I think this is a really cool, in-depth, deep conversation about combat sports. So you guys know the drill. If you're into it, you're going to love it. Guys, today on In The Fight, the one, the only, Robin Black. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today is October 19th. It is 2.03 p.m. here in San Diego, California. And this is my favorite conversation I get to have every couple months right here and now. Today on In The Fight, ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, you all know him, Mr. Robin Black. Robin, how we doing? Woo! I, I, I honestly like hanging out with you too, man. So thank you for the compliment. That is that is very generous, and I really appreciate the encouragement. Uh, but I really do like hanging out with you too. I, every time it's great. No, no, no pressure. And the but okay, but here's the here's the truth, Robin. Is I think we both really try to avoid certain narratives and stereotypes that go on in sports content creation, and not that MMA is sport. I guess that that's a kind of a tricky line to define but i do think we both like to use a different perspective when analyzing assessing evaluating whatever you want to call it so debating discussing whatever yes however you want to go about it i think we have that same conversation yes um i will take it one step further and say that the language of sport has become so entrenched that it's actually become sort of a artificial language I'm really lately in the last number of years, I'm obsessed with truth. Now that like I work for myself and I have partnerships and, and, um, and sort of gigs, I seem to be able to just try to find truth instead of trying to find narratives all the time. But I'm almost to the point there now where I think that, that the language of sport is astrology. And then say in fighting, for example, the language of, uh, corporate television MMA is astrology, and we're trying to find out what's the astronomy, what's the actual truth of the thing. MMA has long battled with certain uh, adversity in its upbringing, whether it be like funding, public support, uh, political support, and they disguised a lot of it by making it appear as a normal sport, right? To, to, to solve some of those problems, you know, we're gonna wear uniforms. 
were going to have press conferences where journalists would ask certain questions. And they've really tried to disguise it as sport. But I think when you strip all of that away, it's it's much more than that. For sure. And the more you package it as a television corporate sport, the less honest it becomes. You know, all uh, when the UFC popped up, for example, they're the biggest uh, in sort of modern combat sports, particularly at least this style of fighting. When they popped up, they were young, visceral, edgy, provocative, uh, cool. And then they were like, wouldn't it be great if one day we were on ESPN? And in the process of creating a package so they could, they're no longer young. They are no longer non-corporate. They're no longer cool. Like, you know, cool young people don't sit, you know, aren't the biggest UFC fans. And that goes to you and I, too. We're not the coolest, right? Uh, (laughs) No, we're not. No, we're not, right? Uh, And if somebody's offended by that, you might not be either. You just would like to be. Like, it's not not our fault, but we're not the cool people, right? Um, And uh, they are no longer innovative. They're no longer provocative. They're no longer edgy. It's no longer young and rebel. They're the old man saying, oh, you know, this bare knuckle thing is, you know, whatever, right? Like, or, oh, Jake Paul's fake. Like, we, we eventually become what we used to rebel against. And that's sort of what corporate fighting, the desire to package it like the NFL has made corporate fighting kind of like that. And, and uh, it's not punk rock anymore. Oh my God, I can't believe you just said punk rock because my exact words were going to be, it's just like a music band, right? This is a band that was hot, edgy, cool, that didn't listen or abide by the rules. And now they sold out to a label and want to sell albums and they want to pay for their houses and they want to go on tour to but I do think there's a trade-off before we you know, dive into all the, the fighting stuff that we want to get into. My mom would not have watched the UFC 15 years ago or 20 years ago. Yet last weekend, when Jared Gordon is fighting against Joe Selecki, she sees it and she goes, oh, Bo, that's the guy you had on your show. you know. And she sits down to watch. So there is that trade-off of you, you do get to bring in some new fans. For sure. And when you do... There, there is absolutely no reason that like there should have been a rise of YouTube boxing, a rise of bare knuckle fighting, uh, you know, all of these sort of wild and different flavors of fighting. There was no room for that before. But now there is because by appealing to your mom, you have inadvertently alienated your original fan base, which liked edgy outside of the mainstream, innovative, different, had a different language, a different flavor, a different look, all of these things. When you commodify all of those things and now you've got you know, uh, uh, athletes in suits talking in code about, you know, striker versus grappler. This one's going to be fireworks <laughs> on a TV where the same two guys come out. This, this is just what happens, right? I'm not mad at it. Uh, we don't need to jump. You know, um, uh, uh, there was um, Tony Hawk was once a rebel. Now Tony Hawk is sort of the grant, but the cycle changes too. One day Dana White is again Tony Hawk, where he's kind of the grandfather. He's appreciated for his earlier, and same with George St. Pierre. More importantly, the fighters themselves, uh, they are appreciated in the way that Tony Hawk is later appreciated. He's not cool. He's not innovative. He's not a badass. But eventually the world comes around and goes, this is the guy, and these are the people who, who begin. It's just the cycle of, of things, right? Tony Tony Hawk lives in my city. He's uh, he's a member of this community. I've seen him around all the time. Tony Hawk's clothes are in Coles and in Target now, right? And that's just the nature of the beast. So 
you know, that's a really fun conversation. I enjoy watching all of it, you know, but by no means is what I'm going to say affect any of it. So I can comfortably sit back and just talk about it as it is what it is. Exactly. We have zero influence over any of this. So there's no reason to be angry at it or, or scared of it or wish it was different. This is just the water we're swimming in. Speaking of bare knuckle, you have been working pretty hard with bare knuckle FC, correct? And bare knuckle MMA, which is spearheaded by Jorge Masvidal. I mean, just give me a little something. How incredible of experience has that all been? So I commentate BKB, which is a bare knuckle fighting out of London, England. And it's got this old, cool tradition. They aren't still fighting this way, but it's still got that flavor. So it's got this this respect based, you know, the the main, the best bare knuckle fighter in the world's name is Jimmy Sweeney. His dad, Jim Sweeney, was a bare knuckle champion. And his grandfather, James Sweeney, was a bare knuckle. It just it's in their family, Irish travelers and the and Welsh tough guys and British, and it is its own historic art form. And then you've got Bear, um, Game Bread FC, which is Jorge Masvidal's show, where I get to go in and bring sort of my experience in the bare knuckle world in with my experience in all the different aspects of free fighting and MMA, and it's very visceral, and it's, it's so Jorge Masvidal, it's crazy. Jorge started fighting in backyards. Jorge was fighting with Kimbo Slice. There's all kinds of footage of him fighting in backyards, same as Kimbo Slice, uh, bare knuckle. So Jorge now, uh, and Jorge still, of course, is gonna, gonna going to, um, you know, uh, headline or, or close to headline a, a uh, pay-per-view in December against Leon Edwards. He's still going to be in that world, but he still gets to go and essentially put on his own concerts and have punk rock bands come out and punch each other in the face. I'm mixing metaphors, but, you know, so it's, there's this visceral realness, this 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 rough kind of back to roots kind of nature to what Jorge does with Game Bread FC. And he, he asked me to commentate, which it was I was honored. I know for many years he's seemed to really enjoy my work and he said so and he's been very generous about it. And he was like, when I found out you were an option, I insisted that you come and commentate my, my shows, which is an honor. And it really does mean a lot to me and it's fun as hell. When I first started my combat sports content creation, uh, one of the first podcasts I ever did talked about the history of Jorge Masvidal starting in backyard brawling. I like for me, I was, I'm a, I'm part of the YouTube era, right? Like as YouTube blew, blew up and fighting is absolutely a big part of that YouTube culture in the beginning, Jorge Masvidal or ponytail, right? As they called him, baby, little ponytail or baby ponytail or ponytail as they called him. He was a massive player in the YouTube world, at least, you know, for me growing up. So funny you mentioned those, those backyard brawl days. The last thing I wanted to ask about before we get into some crazy sick fights that we have lined up here in the future. Karate Combat. Also, really, really cool. I, I From the outside, I'm able to understand it a little bit. For, for people that may not know as much, can you give like a 30-second explanation, breakdown of, of what is going on in Karate Combat? Yes. So if you choose to put any Karate Combat footage in any of this, they'll clear it. I'll just tell them I was on here with you and it's on 137 p.m. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Karate Combat is real, uh, real hand-to-hand, -hand stand, predominantly stand-up fighting, although there is fighting on the ground, uh, rooted in the historic martial art of karate, presented in an ultra-modern way. 
So we have actual karate, karatekas fighting a, a, a type of fighting. So all fighting, the, the dynamic of what you see when you see, whether you see Wilder Fury, it is created by the rules and the, the parameters. So those guys have three minute rounds, the ring is this size, you're only allowed to use your fists, the fighting looks that way. Uh, in MMA, the rounds are five minutes, they're in a cage, you're allowed to use X, Y, and Z, these other things are illegal, the fighting looks a different way. So when whatever the fighting that gets produced is created by the parameters that it takes place in. So karate combat takes place in a pit with, with you know, angled walls that are still able to fight. With. Which I love, I love the angled walls. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, the fighting is rooted in karate. We, we allow certain things and remove others. For example, you don't kick from the knee to the hip. So thigh kicks, you don't kick. People are like, well, why can't you kick the leg? You can, kick the calf. And, and to some people, they're like, well, that seems weird. Well, things only seem weird when they're unfamiliar to you. It's weird that I can kick you in the head standing, but I can't kick you in the head on the ground in MMA. But after you watched it for 15 years, it doesn't seem weird anymore. It's, there's nothing weird about creating parameters in which something can be done. So the parameters are structured to allow the, the art of karate to be people who grew up in the art of karate to be able to do well. Although you, there are Muay Thai fighters, there are kickboxers and everybody. But it also is positioned in a time travel environment. <laughs> That's where it gets awesome. Literally, there's a story of Boss Rutan traveling through time um, and picking us up along the way. And so I get to analyze real fighting in a futuristic high technology environment. So for me, it is just the coolest thing in the world. The fighting is real, the analysis is real, um, as scientific as I wanna make it and as truth-based as I can, but presented in a wild futuristic format. So it's it's one of the coolest things I've ever seen and it's cool that I get to do it. <laughs> karate, I feel like the the biggest pro the thing that people love about karate is the discipline and like the technical dynamics of karate it is about being perfect correct and the biggest probably complaint about karate or point karate is the lack of realness to it well now with karate combat you're combining those two things which is awesome yeah the thing sort of wrote itself like the explanation kind of all made sense at the olympics yeah. when a guy got hit and then was essentially knocked out and couldn't continue and they made him the gold medalist that was so definitively like this is a beautiful martial art beautiful competition beautiful art form a visceral style of fighting um why the hell is the guy who got laid out the gold medalist well in karate combat we will we will solve that problem and do it in the dynamic and, and it is it's a wonderful, wonderful experience to be essentially cage side and be able to analyze in real time, and in many cases, seconds after it happened, what happened. And it pushes me and my sort of, my, my skills, the things that I love about fighting and the specific things that I do and study and, and try to get good at, it pushes me to the maximum of what I can do when seconds later I'm standing there and, and I have to, or I'm tasked with being able to enrich the experience for the audience in real time. I can, I can almost guarantee doing that analysis in real time will make you a better content and a content creator and analyzer in post production as well. That having both those options will only benefit you in the other way as well, which is obviously awesome. Um, Go ahead, if you got it, go ahead, go ahead. What I was gonna say is, you'll find this in any type of creative endeavor. 
making breakdowns that are three minutes with uh, making thousands of them later those concepts become instant that i can use in real-time commentary so i'm sitting at, at game bread fc and i'm commentating a concept that seemed foreign to me five years ago that i've now analyzed for 500 times on instagram now is accessible in my mind in real time this is how we become experts at things it's a long road and we never truly master it but we try to get better and push the boundaries of what's possible in our paradigms just have to constantly try different and new things and challenges and go out of your comfort zone and it will only make you better in every other facet of life i do want to do this robin because we said we were going to do 15 minutes we've already hit 15 minutes and we have not even gotten into the fights as we suspected because this is what we always do we don't make predictions here right we don't we don't say who's gonna win because why the fuck would we watch, Robin? If we could predict who could win, why would we watch? But what we do like to do is look for one thing in each fight that could tell us maybe a bit about the result if you only looked at that one dynamic, right? If if I didn't see the judges, if I didn't check Twitter after the fight, and I only looked at this one dynamic, what can that one dynamic tell me about the fight? Let's start with Jorge Masvidal. Why not start with game-bred Masvidal? Leon Edwards, who has been on an absolute tear for five straight years now, hasn't gotten every opportunity that he's always wanted or come across, and I think COVID even put a bigger damper on that, but now you've got as big of a shot as you're ever going to get in a division following up a fight against Nate Diaz. Jorge Masvidal. Leon Edwards, December 11th. I think I'm going to the fight. Robin, what can I look for in that fight that can tell me a bit about the conversation afterwards? Okay. So we talked about how Jorge, at, as a teenager, is fighting in real time in backyards. If we are going to truly try to understand what experience does for you, um, you have to go back and, and look at the amount of time he spent immersed in fighting, right? The practice of fighting makes you fight better. And the, the way we describe it limits us. Oh, this guy's a great striker. That doesn't mean anything, right? That Like that's saying the thing and complimenting it. It's nonsense. It's an elite striker. That's nonsense. What's actually happening? Well, his ability to process information, move, see, you know, uh, uh, gather information in real time and allow it to feed into the algorithm of his experience and respond without conscious thought. That's what gets better. And in fact, I'm going to try to find a way to connect this idea to all of these, because this is a big part of what we don't understand about fighting is, you know, Jorge Masvidal becomes more comfortable in the nonsense and it doesn't become nonsense to him, right? Once that happens, you start to be able to take the speed at which you see and process information and fight and then add strategy to it. Add the wily experience strategy to it. And that's the thing to watch for with Jorge Masvidal, right? Um, remember when Jorge punched uh, Leon Edwards backstage? Oh yeah, and I'm glad you're bringing it up, Robin. <laughs> right, you see it in that Right? When you look at what happened in that, that exchange, that's where you, and, and you know what you're seeing, and you understand how this is learned and felt, and you know Jorge a little, 
He's my boss in, in Gamebred. I've analyzed him for a decade or more. And you get insight into the man and the process. You start to understand, you know, that he is using like like ancient con. These are cheap books that you can buy in the store, but they're old concepts. These, you know, old concepts written by a swordsman and a, and a, and a, a Sun Tzu about war. These are and there's hundreds of books like these, but these are these are concepts of strategy that are eternal ideas. And when you look at Jorge walking in the back and the guy saying something. And he was walking. You'll notice his hands are, are clasped behind him. This is intentionally non-threatening. It's a lie, right? All one of the things, most basic roots of art of war, all warfare is rooted in deception. Jorge Masvidal is walking towards Leanna Edwards, who's been beacon him off as he's being interviewed. He, Jorge has already decided he's going to punch this man in the face, right? So we have three, four, five, six, or seven seconds. It's a long time when you're dealing with tenths of a second of processing time. So in that time, th this walking towards a man with your hands behind your back, that's some old school Cuban badass shit that Jorge learned when he was a kid. He knows he's gonna punch this guy three, four times. Slowly walks up, then you'll notice as he gets closer to it, the left hand, I believe, I'm, I haven't seen this footage in, in probably two years. I believe the left hand starts to touch the, the railing. Now we've introduced this hand. We've taken it. So when I have my hands behind my back, my hands now, for me to punch you, the process of me punching you is I have to now release my hands, move them from the back to the front into a position at which punching is possible. I can also fire them from there, although that's not ideal. And and that old gangster like, and I use the word gangster in air quotes, like like Jorge, will will know that from experience. So we need to get this hand from hidden misdirection, all all warfare is rooted in in, in deception, into a place where it is now in play for me to punch you but somehow has cam camouflaged that within your mind's idea to recognize it as a threat. Now it's, and, and when I say this, the, a person who has spent zero time, unlike Jorge Masvidal, who spent a lifetime, a person who spent zero time would be like, oh, this is all nonsense. This is not nonsense. The difference between an expert like Jorge Masvidal and a person who watches the UFC 12 times a year is these things that I'm describing. Now he will introduce it into play on the thing and then explain, you'll probably see it explode instantly with a commitment to four. What do you call the three piece in a soda? So that is four uh, with a commitment of four. All of that is by design. Not that he's like, I'm going to hide my hands, then introduce it into the thing. And then from there, explode. it's just a lifetime of doing it. The amount of times this guy's had to smack somebody in the mouth in in an environment that he grew up in, in different places where somebody has a weapon or whatever, this world has, has – so now we take that exact thing and we go to Jorge's big uh, biggest moment that rocketed him up to the level. Hands behind, hands behind the back, leaning casually against the cage, pretending like he's not a threat. That is not a coincidence either. That is not a, that is by design. That is all warfare is rooted in deception. Jorge Masvidal leans back. Those, and, and him taking those steps and flying, what is now happening? And we expand, so now we're talking about old school badassery and mixed with, with uh, strategy and art of war, but why does it work? So now we move it into the modern uh, time. The reason it works is because there's a particular amount we the for the brain for the uh, for the the um, 
cerebral cortex to gather the information of the threat and then use its experience to tell our motor cortex how to behave, that process takes tenths of a second. The difference of those tenths of a second are now shaved off by me using misdirection to, to steal, oh shit, he's doing it. Like that moment for, for your brain to suddenly go, wait a second, there's a guy flying at me. If that takes half a second, now you're getting need unconscious in the shortest time ever in human history. Those are the things to watch for with Jorge Masvidal. What are all those things? What are they ultimately? Are we gonna see him do this? Maybe, but it's not about the specific tactic or technique that's being used. It's about a lifetime of these things available to this badass. That's an interesting, and I can tell you one more thing about related to this from Nate Diaz versus uh, Leon Edwards, but I'll, st- I'll, I'll take a breath first. I would argue it even goes further than what we're talking about right now, which is the deception, right? The physical deception of what Jorge Masvidal does. It's the loose arms that sometimes drop a little low. It's some. It's sometimes, right, the, the hands behind the back. What Jorge Masvidal does best, in my opinion, a lot is the blitz, right? There is no one maybe better in the history of MMA at blitzing than Jorge Masvidal. And real quick, Robin, just... It's a perfect example. I think there's an emotional deception with Jorge Masvidal as well. Don't let the smile fool you. Don't let the jokes fool you. Don't let the kind of happy-go-lucky personality of Jorge Masvidal fool you. He is a man of deception in every dynamic of combat. Yes. And there's no, we can, if we like, remove it from strategic deception to emotional deception to conceptual, but it's all the same thing. It's just a philosophy of warfare, right? At the root, it is a, and we, you can find it in thousands of ways. And here's the problem, what we will, where we will begin to err, especially if we have no actual experience in fighting in cages or whatever, if we point these things out, somebody can say, oh, he's also doing it here, also doing it here. Our minds start to see patterns and we think they're important when they're not always. So that's why certain things are truthfully, we know, and I've asked Jorge about them. Of course, you know, leaning against that cage, all of that is all part of it, right? Um, But these same deceptions and, you know, when when Nate Diaz finally clocked Leon, and Leon is capable of all of this too. I'm not picking on Leon Edwards. I'm a huge fan. I've br- broken down his brother Fabian's work too. He's a genius as well. It just happens this is the direction the, of the conversation. If we get to have another one before then, we'll talk about Leon Edwards and some of his specifics. Um, uh, also, Jorge is my friend and uh, one, my boss, uh, <laughs> if, at least conceptually at, at, at Gamebred FC. So I'm biased, but... but um, but when, when Nate actually caught him with the big punch in round five, that's an old school. This is, and this, and, and, you know, Jorge talked about when Usman caught him, how much he admired that moment, how he can't be mad at it, how he thinks it's, it's, it's a similar thing. I tell you lies for, for four full rounds about how deep I can punch, about where you are and are not safe. And, and Nate Diaz, Nate is a genius a, a, a about this, as is Jorge. And of course, this is not unique to these guys. Again, when we talk about Leon Edwards in three weeks or whenever, we will talk about his some of his specifics. But um, when Nate hit him, 
Nate had been telling him lies for 22 minutes about where he's safe from the punch and how dangerous Nate is and isn't. That's an old school, old masters technique. Josh Barnett used to do it all the time, even in Japan. Uh, he, I think he knocked out, I think it was Pedro Hizzo. Fake right hand, fake right hand. Now you think you're safe and you're 10 times deeper and more and more explosive. Old school masters lying. You won't see it from the younger guys necessarily, although to be honest, uh, Sugar Sean plays around with st- some of these things. There are young guys who start to understand this much younger than they used to. But anyway, these types of deceptions, these are the things that the old masters can do. And and us learning about them and digging, This, you know, these are not things we can understand in two conversations or watching somebody's YouTube videos. This is something we need to spend decades of ourselves. These books and many other like them, I have read and listened to them dozens of times over 15 years to internalize and understand these concepts in different ways and how they relate, as has Jorge, as has Nate Diaz, as has Leon Edwards, as are younger fighters. This is, and these are difficult concepts to discuss when somebody is doing commentary or sitting at a desk in an expensive suit, well lit on a sports desk somewhere. But these are the realities. These are the realities of what are happening in fighting. And when you watch Jorge Masvidal, those ornery, grimy old master deceptions are some of the things to watch for. I could talk about Jorge Masvidal all day long. Just one of my favorite guys of all time. Let us continue because, goodness gracious, I our tangents are where the gold is. I, I truly, truly believe that. Whatever I put down on this stupid piece of paper means absolutely nothing to this conversation. The next two, three months are just so loaded with fights. And the last time you came on, we did talk about Canelo Alvarez. But, and and we talked about what he does so well, his Sergey Kovalev knockout and and your breakdown of it. And he is one of the few athletes that I still feel like I fanboy over. I still feel like a fan of. I'm, this is not, I'm covering him for 1.37 p.m., I'm not putting on my sports journalism major from Missouri when I watch. I watch Canelo Alvarez in awe of his abilities. What I am potentially most impressed with is his evolution as a fighter. And we talked about Canelo Alvarez almost 12 months ago. Almost 12 months ago. And I don't even know if he's the same fighter that he was 12 months ago. When you talk about a fighter's evolution... What is it with Canelo Alvarez to where he can now go up from 154, 160, now trying to unify at 168? He's held the belt at 175. He went from being just a hard-punching Mexican kid at 16 years old to now one of the best defensive boxers in the entire world who can also walk you down and and bury you. I. I watch him as a fan. What do you think of his evolution as a fighter? So I'm the same, right? Like I almost when I, I almost don't do this anymore anyways, because these fights are such special moments. Like Canelo Alves, Alvarez and you know, there's there's forty humans that fight in all types of fighting that are so special and rare. In those moments you should never give them up. So if somebody says, Can you tweet during this? It's like, no. I cannot tweet during this. This is a wonderful moment. These are wonderful moments where these geniuses have dedicated their entire lives to these moments and they will never get them back. You should not be fucking tweeting during this, right? <laughs> I, don't, I won't do that now, right? Like I see that sometimes you're watching 
fights and they'll like have you know journalists or analysts or whatever their their tweets it's like why are you tweeting this is genius there's a genius doing things can you imagine being at a jazz concert with the great miles davis is soloing and you're fucking tweeting like are you out of your mind right but so so what is happening and and so among so if you appreciate gymnastics or javelin or high diving or fighting you are appreciating the genius of the movement and the genius of what's being created but for me the, the a lifelong study of martial arts is about understanding the world and and learning about how to be a better husband and i'm gonna have a baby in january and try to become a good father and all of these how to be a better friend and a good citizen like the studying fighting is teaching you about the universe if you and i'm sure a master somebody who's searching for mastery in in shipbuilding or programming uh or whatever can learn about the universe by searching for mastery so th this is this is not unique to fighting but but when you're watching canelo alvarez what can you learn you can learn about one greatness but we start to get insight into where that comes from like, how did he become so great? Could could I be that good of a piano player or baseball uh, catcher or, you know, programmer or friend? Like, and so you, you look at it and, and he is literally simply a product of the things that make greatness. Um, deliberate practice, nonstop deliberate practice, incredible amounts of hard work, improving your ability to improve your ability. And I think that's the nugget of, of Canelo, right? It, anybody can, when I first started to box, uh, uh, I had lost my first two MMA fights. Uh, I was a, a, a submission uh, specialist and I realized I was getting punched in the face a lot and I started to box and, and so I trained with somebody over and over and over again and he would throw something, I would slip, bang, slip, bang, slip, thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions. And one day I'm sparring and a guy threw a punch and I slipped and I hit him. And I couldn't believe that. Like my brain just did that thing. And, and you realize, oh, okay, this is how that happens. So if I did that same thing forever, I would never become Canelo. Because Canelo got better and people like Canelo got better out of harvesting the the experience, harvesting the training. They gain more from the repetition. They gain more from the information. They gain more from the repetitive practice. So when we're trying to understand why is this fighter, gymnast, runner, cyclist, mountain climber, why are they so good? There's a genetic component and there is deliberate practice with expert feedback. And some, there's somebody watching this right now who has no, and, and I'm not judging, they have no idea how somebody would get better at playing piano because we're not teaching that in the world. You get better at playing piano or fighting through deliberate practice with expert feedback, analyzing your process and continuing the, the job up, up the mountain. So, uh, find, pushing yourself to limits, finding failures, learning from the setback and carrying on. Alvarez does all that just like everybody else. He's just better at that. And now he's the best in the world. First of all, congratulations. Thank you. On the child, that is that is so exciting, and beyond work, be, beyond um, your passions of life, which are combat sports or learning, congratulations! Because at the end of the day, there's a short list of things that matter in this world. Mm -hmm. I would argue that is yes. certainly one of them. So, congratulations. congratulations! Thank you, Canelo Alvarez. In combat sports, there is a very bizarre balance in combat sports that is 
incredibly difficult to explain. Supreme confidence and incredible humility. How do those two things coexist? Canelo Alvarez will tell you, I am the best boxer in the world. Yet when he goes to the gym every day, which is here in San Diego, and he trains with Eddie Reynoso, who I think is an absolute genius as well, and they're they're the peanut butter to each other's jelly, and Canelo Alvarez does not walk around that gym or talk to Eddie Reynoso saying, I'm the best boxer in the world. He listens as if he's not the best boxer in the world. It is the most bizarre catch-22 probably in combat sports or I guess in anything really. Supreme confidence, incredible humility. It's a bizarre duel. Yeah, it isn't at all. I love where you're going with this. I love it. It's so, (laughs) it's just so truthful and pure, but it's not weird at all. All the greats, the real greats, the people who do, who be, and the people who become great. The people, not who something good happened and then they were at the top of it and then it all fell apart, but true people who get to live long enough to get some level of mastery have this. And it seems that they are not together, but here's the main, here's the, here's the, the nugget of difference. Humility is a choice and confidence is a consequence of that choice. Oh, that is hot. I love that. So con- confidence, if created by you, is horseshit. Confidence, if it forms as a result of a lifetime of work, preparation, setback, learning, humility. Humility allows you to learn. Hard learning and nonstop work can produce confidence. Confidence is a byproduct of work fueled by humility. So they are connected. That is so damn good. And it makes a lot of sense. But I... just if you look at the surface, right? Just from the outside, just if you're if you're peeking in through the window, the relationship between humility and confidence is incredibly interesting to say the least. I want we we talk about you and I constantly talk about stereotypes, um, uh, language, sport, wh- where MMA, where combat sports fits into all this. Anthony Joshua, a few weeks ago, suffers a loss to Alexander Usyk. A lot of people are going to criticize him, say, you know, uh, you're not the heavyweight you think you are or whatever. I think Anthony Joshua is an outstanding addition to the heavyweight division in boxing. I think when you look at the great eras or generations of boxing, they talk about all these fighters. And yet if all those fighters coexisted with each other at once, they would not all be able to be undefeated. That is not possible. They become great because they face each other over and over and, and take on certain challenge, challenges and battles. Anthony Joshua, they say he's not a boxer. They say Alexander Usyk is a boxer. Anthony Joshua is an athlete or he's a puncher. Why am I the only person who does not give a fuck that Anthony Joshua is not a boxer? Why are people so focused on him not having the perfect jab or the perfect, you know, um, footwork skills why does that matter so much to people so because people are crazy um and we all (laughs) want to know i get this weird pushback sometimes when i will like uh you know spend 
years to try to figure you know, try to gain some insight into the truth um, of how, say, the brain works in a certain moment. And sometimes I'll, I'll explain, you know, as best as humanly possible with all the knowledge accessible in the world, combined with my personal knowledge of having learned these things, I'll explain potentially on a low level how the brain works when something happens. And somebody will be like, bro, that's so stupid. All he did was like, you know, that was a pull counter. It's like, I know that it would, we all want to know things, right? but most of us don't want to actually learn things. So we want to know this. We want to be able to say, in a, and, and this is not a judgment. This doesn't make us bad people. This is just human nature. We want to be in a bar or a virtual bar on Twitter, and we want to say, this guy's not a good boxer. But there are 60 people in Toronto where I live that actually know about, truthfully know about fighting on a high level. And there's probably... 900 in America. And there's probably 2,800. Khabib said this before. People ask, why do people say these things? And he's like, there's maybe eight or 900 humans on planet Earth who actually know fighting the way he does. And none of them are tweeting about it. <laughs> none of them are expressing their opinion about Joshua's jab. It's people who don't know what a jab is. It's people who think a jab is a thing that is was described by a Teddy Atlas or a Joe Rogan or a Robin Black or a whomever in the moment of a TV, of television for entertainment purposes limited by time. And they saw that 29 times or 50 times and they watch three YouTube videos or 12 YouTube videos or 40 YouTube videos and they think they now know what a jab is. A jab is not a thing that where you step this way and then you, your hand expresses from here and returns to the thing as your hip moves back and you lower your, a jab is a thing that I throw my hand out and it hits you. And the best jabs in the world don't look like cartoons. They don't look like YouTube videos. The best jabbers in the world. Also, even if that is the best, if, if we could all agree what is the perfect technical jab today? That will not be true in four years or 11 years or 20 years. Because the game, as it changes, how you should and shouldn't do this in an ever-changing dynamic, that's not true. But all of the people that have an opinion on it have no idea, and they'll hear me say that, after 40 years of dedicating my life to trying to understand this and trying to find language that I could explain it, and that's my failing, if they don't understand it, uh, I'll continue to try until I can make it make more sense but someone will hear me say that and go that guy's crazy bro he just talks about esoteric things why because they want to be right they prefer to know what a jab is prefer to know what anthony joshua is prefer to live in a world where they know what a vaccine is or a COVID is or a government is or what a biden is or what a jab is or they're like they prefer what cnn is or what you know 137 p.m is or who robin black is they prefer to live in a world of certainty but they don't most of us don't know anything and once we get to the point that we realize that we don't know it, I've only studied martial arts for 45 years. And I don't say that facetiously. That's nothing. In the grand scheme of what is possible to be known, I know nothing. So if I know nothing, what does Just Bleed 420 on Twitter know? Nothing, <laughs> right? Nothing. He knows literally, literally nothing. Um, so, you know, what, like, so people express their, and in a world of all of us knowing nothing, and learning a little less and gaining less nuanced information, we're also, and this is humility and confidence, we are also overconfident. We think we know. I watched 200 boxing matches. I think I know what a jab is. You actually have no idea what a jab is. 
Moses. You have no idea what Joshua is or is not, uh, but you want to and you believe you do. And that dynamic informs not just fighting, but news and sports and and politics and music and science and everything. And that's the that's the challenge of our generation. People are hilarious. We can start there that people are just absolutely hilarious. Lomachenko, who is you know another person who I watch as a fan, where I just can't get enough. I'm I'm in awe of what they do. He breaks the quote unquote rules of boxing all the time, but it's deceptive, right? If if that jab that Anthony Joshua had was perfect or textbook or exactly the way, wouldn't everyone know that it's coming and it wouldn't work? Right. What makes this work is that it is not normal and you want to break the rules. You have to do new things. Um, who who was the he was a star of the Detroit Pistons and he later was a coach, a, Isaiah Thomas. Uh, let me tell you an Isaiah Thomas story in a second. Go on. I love Isaiah Thomas, so I'm very excited to hear you say this. Um, uh, oh, I'm 24 years old and I've I mentioned this in every fucking podcast so people are going to say oh Bo's 24 years old he's said that for the 15th time in a row I am the first to admit I have no idea what is going on in that cage I am doing my best every day to understand more and more because I want to have that certainty but I can't understand it there's no way a 24 year old a 20 year old a 30 year old person could actually understand what is going on in a combat sports setting i mean you can't accept anything really in terms of knowledge until you're eight years old anyways right like you can start training then but i have other interests in life as well so it is impossible for me but i am going to try my absolute best to understand to learn and maybe provide some insight to people robin i'm good to wrap up i want to finish with this isaiah thomas story so I, uh, when 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 Conor McGregor was fighting Floyd Mayweather, Isaiah Thomas, uh, Floyd's father seemed very interested in me, uh, Floyd Senior, and we were chatting. And you know, a lot of the things that were going on around that time was was a time where the world was changing, right? And we are more in it now than ever. But I remember looking, uh, you know, and and your role starts, and my my role today is the truth. Like that's what I want my, that's what I want to spend my time. What is truthful? What is actually happening? Whereas at that time, you know, I, I miss, I hadn't yet reached that point where I thought provoking was good or, you know, and then lots of people still do that. So no judgments. People like to say things. I, and I understand that battle, right? As someone trying to create a career and garnish views. And at times I face that same battles. I very much understand Trust yourself, trust yourself, because actually at the thing, the things that have gained the most short term followers for me is if I get into even 10 minutes of conflict with somebody else in my business or and almost always it would be started by me because I'm tired or grumpy or whatever, because if somebody else does, I usually just not grumpy and uh, and serene and learning about the world that I'm kind in return. But every now and again, I do that uh, once a year and it grows all my stuff. Or when I said, Conor McGregor is gonna for sure knock out Floyd Mayweather, nothing lit up all of my systems more than that. People jumped in, they were arguing, and you're an idiot and whatever. And I and I remember doing it at that time, I was working in, in a television channel, and um, we, uh, 
I had a producer that I trusted very much and I still do I very much like him. And he's like, look, man, try to say provocative things, say extreme things. And I remember once saying, um, uh, what's his name? The, the Polish hammer or the Russian hammer, Artem Lobov. I remember once saying at the same day he told me that I'm like, you know, within a year, Artem Lobov will be uh, challenging for the 145 pound division. And people like were, were lighting up the YouTube channel. He was like, see, say stuff like Robin said. I remember thinking, I don't think this is what I'm about. But same thing. It's like Connor's going to for sure knock out Floyd Mayweather. When I said that, all my shit exploded. Right. But uh, so I was Floyd's dad was really kind of interested in me and, and Chael and people could kind of see that I was experimenting with this kind of idea because truthfully, I know fights are not predictable. And the more you know about them, the more impossible. So Isaiah Thomas comes up to start talking to me and 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 we shoot something for TSN and it was long and it was really interesting. And he's like, I find you to be really interesting. He said, you seem very intelligent. Well, tell me what you're thinking. And I remember just turning to Isaiah and who was that that point guard uh, who was shooting from from three points that scored like crazy in 2018 and Steph Curry, Steph Curry. Steph Curry, yeah. And I said, and so Isaiah, correct me if I'm wrong, right? I said, Steph Curry, uh, is he the best player right now? And this is at that time. He's like, yeah, Steph Curry is the best player right now. I said, correct me if I'm wrong, but he shoots free throws from places that nobody else does typically that are typically considered to be, you know, low percentage. He goes, yes, that's true. And I said, so because it's low percentage, Nobody trains to defend them for, for years and years and years because nobody's throwing from there. And he goes, yeah, that's true. And I said, so somewhere this young man believed this is not arbitrarily low percentage. If I work my brains out, it could be low percentage because everybody else has believed it's low percentage. But what if I turn it into, for me, a higher percentage and I start shooting it? It isn't just I can hit them. It's they're not ready to defend them. And of course, that during that period, that's what happened. And Isaiah Thomas is looking at me, he's like, right. And I said, well, what if boxing's like that? And he just got right into it. And that was the point. The point wasn't, you know, and that right then was where I started really exploring this idea. One, I was pushing this, this thing and it paid off like crazy. Like, but I didn't like it. I didn't like the idea of arguing or creating debate or misrepresenting truth. The truth is fights cannot be predicted. And if anyone predicts a thousand of them, the most they're going to get, or let's say 5,000, the most they'll get right is 54% of them because it is not possible to predict them, right? You can predict them two rounds in, you can predict them one round in better. You can predict them tw 20 minutes before better than you could the day before. The day before, maybe 2% better than a month before, like the weather, but you still cannot do it. But, but right at that moment, that was when I started to kind of realize, okay, wait a second. The point here isn't MMA versus boxing. The point here is what are these things? What is a jab? What is a punch? Yes, I realize that 100 years or 200 years or 500 years have led to a particular choice, but that doesn't mean it's right. In 50 years, it'll be different. In four years, it'll be different. And when it is different and somebody goes from jumping on a high jump with the leg up to flopping, the day it's different, we all change everything. When somebody starts winning this way, we stop fighting like this. But this is not definitively the end. We are simply at a point in an ever-changing timeline. And our point is no more important than any other point. Boxing is not fully defined. There is no such thing as wrestling or karate. These are just constructs that we invent. 
200 years in the future, they'll all just be practice methods. Nobody will be arguing whether boxing is better than karate because it'll all just be understood to be a part of fighting. But this is the this is what it is to, to dedicate your life to trying to understand these things. And it goes right back to what we said at the beginning, the idea of these narratives and these languages, the language of sport, the language of sport broadcasting. These are all boxes. This is astrology. We're trying to figure out what is astronomy. And we will know that if we keep an open mind and we keep learning and we keep the searching for truth. And it starts with what you just said. You know you know nothing. And that's already further along than somebody who thinks they do. And that's 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 why you'll keep learning. It is all an effort to understand, right? People just want to understand and hold themselves probably in a pedestal in some capacity over the surrounding people or their peers or the people in their work office when they're getting a coffee in the kitchen and the cafeteria room and, oh, did you see Floyd Mayweather over the weekend? And you, you want to have that conversation. It's all an effort to understand. Robin, 51 minutes. We said 15 minutes and that is how we roll, my man. Thank you so much for the time. We will gladly push out a ton of these clips. It's going to be so much fun. The next few months are loaded. We got to keep doing this over and over. We got to have this conversation more often, man. You're a man. You're the rock star. Look forward to talking again. My pleasure, brother. Uh, it's awesome seeing you. Three or four weeks. This time we'll talk more about Leon Edwards than we did Jorge Masvidal. It's only fair. Yes, we will. Yes, we will. What's the What's the catchphrase, Robin? Enjoy the hostilities, my friends. Oh, I love hearing that. Take it easy, man. Thank you guys so much for tuning into this episode. Really appreciate it. You guys mean the absolute world to us over here at 1.37 p.m. We're building a community. And if you guys have suggestions on the best way to do that, please let us know. We want everyone incorporated and we're excited about the future. Potential in-studio guests going on the road, Vegas, New York, all of it. Guys, this show has such a bright future. I'm so excited about it and I'm so excited to have you along with us. This is In The Fight.